So our conversation today is about um, how we remember our loved ones um, and how we celebrate life. Um, and this is tied to uh, a workshop that's happening after the 11.15 at 12.30 um, on, on planning um, end of life things, um, primarily liturgy, but also the, um, other, the other kinds of things that you'd wanna be thinking about um, as you think about the end of your own life, um, that that, like everything else, is something we can plan for. Frankly, it's one of the few things we can guarantee is gonna happen, right? <laughs> uh, we know for a fact that this will come to an end um, so we can act like it. Um, and we can have the courage to face that together. Um, and you all have probably been a part of some of the wonderful services that happen here, um, the wonderful celebrations of life, um, many more than I have. Um, so Horace is gonna talk to you a little bit about how, how we do that um, and what you wanna keep in mind. Um, and we're here to, oh, Horace is here, I'm not, to answer questions um, and to have a conversation about how, how we do this. Um, Horace, can I let you start by framing it and I'm gonna figure out what's going on with my microphone. Is oh, that all right? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you all for coming to this important conversation. As William was speaking, I thought of one of our parishioners who, um, who is ready to go and, um, and, and, and wonders why God still has her here. And, and so, you know, I'm having that pastoral conversation with her and trying to keep her encouraged. And even though sometimes I'll ask the question to the person, why do you think you're still here? Um, and so this person kept going on and, and even felt like, well, is this punishment? And, and finally I said, well, you can hold me to this. You're going to die. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, and she laughed. And um, I think that we need to um, we, we confront that. Uh, one of the gifts I received around death is being a chaplain. I was a hospice chaplain, uh, and before that I was a medical center chaplain in Johnson City. And, and I, had to, I had to get comfortable with death. I think our culture does not help us. Um, and even in the Christian faith, as much as we talk about the Easter joy and that liturgy that we have at funerals, uh, there is often difficulty with death. Uh, people avoid it. Um, the grief support group, some of our, some of the members who are part of this church who are part of the grief support, they talk about how their friends will just ignore and will not bring it up because they think, well, this is going to make the person sad and they're just going to cry. And, and what's wrong with crying? Uh, it's, those are tears of healing and, and joy that we have with tears. And uh, often you'll hear people apologize for, I'm sorry, when they start to cry. And again, that's part of, I think, the difficulty around death. So this is an opportunity. You know, some traditions, I think, I think of Buddhism as they kind of, they live in that space. They, they see that coming and they embrace it. And so embracing death, this doesn't mean that we don't like life, but we think about life that death is not the end, but life has changed. That's what we say in our faith tradition. So I think having this conversation, planning, all of those things help us become more comfortable with, with death. So, of course, thank you. What, when, um, when you're sitting with a family planning a celebration of life, um, 
So one of the reasons we're having this workshop is, um, is that such a painful conversation, right? I, I'm sure you all have been in that spot where it, there's so many practical things to take care of and it's the last thing you have any energy, energy for. Remembering, it's my, my grandmother's death anniversary was yesterday, so my family's mm. been talking about this. Yeah. Um, what, what, would you, what would you want us to know as someone who does this often um, in advance of imagining our own loved ones sitting at that table um, trying to figure out what to do next? What would you, you know, what, what, are the, what are the questions they wish they had the answer to, or, you know, what are those? Yeah, uh, and I see this as a precursor to this afternoon. Yeah. So, I, just a teaser. I, for those of you who are coming this afternoon, we want you to be there. Um, we're just going to give a taste of what will go into more depth this afternoon. But when I sit with the family, first, I like to, um, and of course, there is the grief and there is the sadness because that person is gone out of our lives. And, and I certainly honor that. I, I do not believe that because of the Easter joy, we should ignore that reality that it's, it's human to go through that, that pain. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus, his friend. So I think that's a model that we, those, God honors those, that sadness and those tears. That's part of how we've been made. Um, so I sit with the family and I give them just, I hold space for them to, um, to cry. And one thing I did as a hospice chaplain, when I would go into the room and after I'd been called um, to the room of the deceased and the family members are there, I ask them to talk about what is one thing that is a memory that you are going to carry with you? What, what comes to mind when, when you think of this person? And so that tends to take them to a place of, wow, yes, I'm going to miss that, and that's what I think of, of my loved one in that way. And after we have some time for conversation to talk about this person, to honor this life in conversation, then we begin the work of how do we want to celebrate this life in a service. I, I'm a strong proponent of a service to honor, of, and there are various ways people want to celebrate life, which if you're concerned about how your loved ones will remember you, this is why it's good to go ahead and put that in writing. It's a gift to them, and it's also a gift to you, because as I said in the blurb, about today, you don't have to worry about how, what they're going to do. Because I think if they really love you, they're going to honor what you've said, this is what you want. Even if it might be different from what they might have chosen. But it does give that relief. Because so many times we sit and they say, gosh, I just, I don't know. I don't know whether she would have wanted that or um, I don't know whether this is the, the right hymn or um, these prayers to have remembrances or not. And so, so all of that, we, it's, a, it's a way of walking through the service as the big part of how are we going to give tribute to this loved, ones, loved one. And usually by the end of that conversation, there is a, a settleness of, not that they're settled, but that they, they have been able to find some support in that moment of grief. And of course, prayer is always uh, there as kind of bookends to that conversation. So can I ask you just a, a hard question? Sure. 
What have you learned about death in doing this work? Hmm. Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's serious. <laughs> Heavy hitter here. Um, I think what I've learned about death is it's this, it's this cycle. It's this cycle of life. Um, and it is, there is beauty. I, I, I don't think I, before I got real acquainted with death, doing it a lot, and I think it was around when I was a, a chaplain, which was great um, preparation for coming here. Little did I know I was going to be doing this so much. Um, <laughs> so thank God for hospice chaplains. Um, chaplaincy. But what I, what I, I, th I think about is how we are born into the world and how we leave the world. And I used, to, in my pastoral care class, I talked about death in the sense of this full cycle. And in water, we're born into water and then the washing of the body and we leave in water. And, and in the best of circumstances, we're born into love, and then we leave in love. So I've been able to think about death, uh, not romantic, romanticize, I don't want to romanticize it, but, but also become more comfortable. Uh, it's not, death can be, depending on how we leave here, can be a little scary sometimes, if, if there's a lot of suffering. Um, I remember preaching when I was at All Saints in Glen Rock, New Jersey, and I talked about how there's that fear, that, well, there may be fear because it's the unknown. We, yeah, we can believe what's there, but we don't have people coming back telling us what's on that side. And I remember one of the parishioners confronted me after my sermon and said, I disagree, I am not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. Now, I, I'm, I have some fear about what will happen between now and that time, like uh, in, in all, and she did go through some suffering. She had cancer, and I think because as as a heavy smoker, she was kind of looking, realizing that might be. But she was saying that part kind of you know made it a little uncomfortable. But but the process, the death death itself, when that time comes, she said she welcomed it. And is is. Do you think that's something we should do? Should we, should we be working on our fear of death? Like, should we, should we be making peace with? Like, what, what do you think? Well, I, I think so. I think, I mean, our, we're people of faith, and so um, part of our what we hear constantly in our worship is how uh, we we go through that period of how God carries us and God is with us to the end. And so that comfort there. And then we, we come and we bear one another's burdens. We are part of, um, of the support. We come to, I was at a funeral service of a former associate priest here, the Reverend Dr. John Westerhoff. And um, just being at that service. And so we come to these services and we honor this life and we, we believe that this person is at peace. This person is at rest. This person is, I like to say, in God's eternal embrace. So those things, I think, help us. 
with comfort as we go, as we move toward that. And that's part of, and, and we, have, we, have, we have each other to help us. Very much like a midwife to guide us through that process to talk about and to live into this good death or a holy death. And that's what we offer. We offer as priests of the church. This is another hard one. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Oh, wow. She's getting me ready. Actually, I know people should give me a script, right? Oh. Yeah. Um, you want my questions? <laughs> right. Yeah, I can do that. But t- I actually think we're all a little bit curious about this. Like, there has been so much death in the last couple of years. Mm. We've all been to and have been doing so many funerals. It's just a big, it's been a big part of all of our lives. I don't, I don't know anyone for whom that is not true. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the the ways you feel changed by that or influenced by the last couple of years? Tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been a drain. Uh, my mom was concerned about me. She said, I think you need some counseling. You're doing all these funerals. Uh, yeah. Um, fortunately, I have a great parish here. You all have been wonderful. Your prayers, I feel your prayers. I feel uh, buoyant. By your prayers, um, that buoyancy is is what keeps me going. Because I'm amazed that I can, it's not just the service. First of all, it's the preparation of the service. It's is actually preparing a homily and getting into the life of the person, meeting with the family, and then their emotions and carrying their burdens. We are called to bear one another's burdens, and that can be a lot. Um, of sorrows to carry. Um, the pandemic, I mean, just when you think about almost a million people in a couple of years who died from COVID. So that's been hard for us to carry. And then our loved ones, the personal grief that many of you in this room have had to bear with that pall of the pandemic. So it's just been a heavy, heavy lift. So I think that it's, we're, we're learning how we need each other in times of death, um, that we cannot do this alone. Um, and, and I think drawing from community uh, and, and being there. So I pray, my, I have a strong prayer life. And so I'm praying to be able to be here for you all. Uh, not only for the family members here, but for the, but you are part of this, the, the church family. And so you are there with the families as they go through this and that we come together. And I think the beauty of a faith community is that we all show up. I remember being at a parish where not a lot of people came because they didn't know the person, but it doesn't matter. You're part of this community and it's like a family, you show up. Because I have heard so many family members talk about how, what strength they drew from having a church that was full or people came to help them. And I've thanked some parishioners who 
Well, sort of like these professional <laughs> funeral <laughs> goers. So they're like, oh yeah, they're here again, and they're just, they're there. And, and that can be a lot, oh, you know, showing up, but just showing up, it, it means so much to family members. I, one, yeah. of the, one of our parishioners who was well-loved, lived a long time, and it was in the fall, so we were, um, Delta and Omicron were just sort of right there, and people were still a little uncomfortable about coming into this space. But one of the sons of this uh, beloved woman said he was disappointed. He thought more people would come to the service. He was looking for that. Hmm. So I know that would have meant more just to, he loved his mother. Um, she was, you know, really, you know, a, a treasure in this church. And so sometimes, so just know that people notice. That makes a difference when they can walk into this space, into the nave, and see these people are here for me for my mother, for my father, for my loved one, yeah. and my, my child. It, it almost demonstrates how, how easily and quickly we get disconnected, yeah. right? Because if we'd all been in person, that, it wouldn't have happened that way, right? Yeah, if we had been consistently in person. Yeah, right, which yeah. is one of the really, one of the cruelties of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, it was really for those who died when we were shut down. Yeah. For that year where we didn't assemble. And I was doing graveside services with 10. We could only have 10 outside. And how hard that was. 10 outside in masks. And it was just hard. I heard one, I just heard one, um, one of our parishioners who mom, whose mom had passed away, she, she said that worked for her because it was simple. And to have a big service would have been harder for her. So that's the only twist I heard in that. That she said she was able to get through it because it was quick, you know, very quickly done. And that's, you know, that was the only time. But for most, it was a hard time. One of my friends told his mom, he said, so I'm going to tell her, she can't go now. She's going to have to hang in there because we need to have a full service. <laughs> How did that work out? Yeah. <laughs> She's still here. So. <laughs> well, there She's you go. Hanging in yeah. there. Yes. And then what some did, they just, put, of course, put it off. But, um, you know, it was, that sometimes was really hard. I, I think of Herschel Allen. Um, it was, I remember giving him last rites on FaceTime while he was, mm -hmm died in the uh, facility where he was. And Betsy was there, and also on the phone, it was, act it was on Good Friday. And he died on Holy Saturday of 20. His service was last summer. Wow. So to hold that grief, that's another thing. That the closure, it's delayed closure. And so that was another piece to this. She takes me to the next question. So uh, Elaine Pagels has an inner book on um, the Gospel of Thomas. So the thesis of that book is that Thomas is Thomas and John are in response to one another. They're in conversation. It's a great book. Um, she starts out with she had just I think learned of a cancer diagnosis. I think of her child. You know something just awful, um, and so mm -hmm. goes for a run in New York, 
and sticks her head in at Church of the Heavenly Rest, which is an Episcopal church, just because she was going by it. Um, and they're lining up for the procession and starting the service. And she said the thought she had is that these people know something about death. Um, and then she started to kind of look into, look into the life of church. And then talks about the gospels as basically being about death, right? So it kind of goes there. Um, so I think that's actually a pretty accurate description of us. We, we are people who know something about death. These yeah. communities, we don't run from it. Um, but to what you were just saying, can you, can you tell, tell me a little bit about the, the spiritual and maybe psychological work of, and I don't want to overly emphasize the funeral, but the funeral is kind of where we work a lot of this out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, 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 I guess that that, maybe I do mean funerals, but that that kind of liturgy does. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why I um, really emphasize funerals, uh, that because it kind of walks us through life. It's it's a whole cycle. It takes us from, yes, the planning, it's the prayers, the beginning. Then we come into the church. We come into this place where there is sorrow. And then that liturgy holds us, the liturgy itself, that moves us where we are remembering, we are thanking God for this life, we are giving honor and we're giving back to God this lovely, lovely loved one who we've had this time with. And then we, at the end, that wonderful commendation, which is some of the most beautiful words ever written in the English language, of a sheep of your own foal, a sinner of your own redeeming, and to give back to God this wonderful creation. And then we come into a repast or a reception, and that moves us toward life. So we've come through that, and then we go on to life. We don't stay there. So I do think that that's important. Uh, and in the planning, that is good to have. Uh, because You mentioned the Gospels, but I think of Psalm 90 that tells us about planning for that time. And I just want to read just a portion of that. Psalm 93, you turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are consumed by your anger. By your wrath we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are 70 years, or perhaps 80, if we're strong. Even then, their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to count our days 
that we may gain a wise heart. And in another version is teach me to number my days so that I may know my end. Well, I'm, um, we have a little bit of time for questions. I'm gonna ask people who haven't asked a question. I'm gonna just ask you to hang on for just a moment, but we'll do that. Um, are, there, are there questions? Neil. Yes. Uh, you introduced us, Wayne, to the phrase, uh, life is eternal and love is immortal. And that is a Benedictine prayer. And then Patty found the whole thing fantastic for us <clears throat> when Jason got killed uh, last summer. But the, the idea of life is eternal and love is immortal, we're trying, I'm trying to figure out a word for not only Jason, but for all people that is other than the word lost. <clears throat> I don't like, I don't think <clears throat> as far as for me, Jason is not lost, but somehow people say, well, I'm sorry that you lost Jason, something like that. Um, and I don't know what quite to say, and I don't believe that, and I find my, even myself maybe thinking that, not just about Jason, but oh, uh, anybody who, uh, who has died, I frequently, I can, not, I have to catch myself to say, I'm sorry that you lost whatever. I I'll restate that a little bit for the, um, just for the microphone. Yeah. Right? Hard so question to you. <laughs> Thank know, you, Neil. I was gonna, I'm passing that over to Horace. I'll restate it and Horace will answer. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, so uh, so the, the, the Benedictine prayer, it's the, I think it's the Anime Christi that ends with, um, or in the, close to the end, is that life is eternal and love is immortal. It actually said, that prayer begins with, we seem to give them back to you. Right, those who you have given to us, but in I'm not I can't quote the thing. Right, but in in their dying we do not lose them, um, and so it, it's it's such a profound question, Neil, because yeah, our our that I, the reason I, I use that prayer often, and the reason I do is I think it captures it completely, that we believe we come from God and we return to God. I believe it. I um, it's not even that I believe it. I know it. Okay, it feels like feels like a deep knowing to me. Um, how how we articulate what it means to not communicate with someone, to not literally have their physical presence, which is, is not a small thing, you know? I don't feel that I've lost my grandmother, but I've lost my grandmother in some ways, in, in the ways I know how to relate to a person. So I think in some ways we, we hold that tension. I, I, I don't know the right word for that, but I agree with you. Um, Jason isn't lost, nothing, nothing of the truth of who Jason is and of his beautiful life is lost. It is all true. It is still true. Your love for him is still true. Um, I'm going to pass it to Horace soon. I don't know the right word for it, but <laughs> yeah. we, we know this about people mm -hmm. we've lost, right? I mean, it's, it's not that all of the time we had with them disappears. It wasn't, it's not an illusion. We're not, you're not wrong. Um, and it is very different to not be on the same plane, right? It is, it is very different. 
You're going to fix it, Horace. Go ahead. No, no, yeah. no. I think I know. I think that's really good. I I, I agree. Um, one thing I say, part of what I said earlier about talking with the family, what's the memory? What what lights your life when you think of Jason or when you think of your loved one? You think of Elkin. Um, think of your dad. Um, I say that because those memories that we have, that per we keep that person with us. We carry that person with us. Uh, there are so many things that are important that so we don't lose that. We don't lose the memory. We don't lose that. That we carry them with us for the rest of our lives. And I think that's important to recognize. When I was, the children's hospital was connected to the medical center in Johnson City. And the child care providers for the, that hospital did a wonderful uh, thing that they, they had a mold where they would take um, the handprint of the deceased, say the grandfather, so that, and they would talk with the kids and say, when you ever start feeling sad or missing, you know, touching your grandpop, touch this. So that kind of something tangible. So, so again, ways that we find that that person will continue to be in our lives, that it's not all lost. And, you know, there are photographs, there are things that were done. So there are ways of keeping them with us, even though that physical, the body, is not there. So I think the loss is the loss of Jason not here in this room, sitting here in this chair. And that's a reality. And I think that's what I hear people saying. They, they don't want to come across as callous. They want to acknowledge this is it's hard because Jason is not in this world, but he's not lost because there are many ways he is transformed into our lives, to your life. We're not doing a good job of answering the questions. You'll have to ask us easier <laughs> ones. That's, that's a really tough one, Neil. I think that's mm. really tough one. Yes. Like, I don't know that he's transformed into our lives. Mm. I mean, yeah. I think that is so beautiful. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank God. I, yeah. I just speak, and the yeah. Spirit speaks. Yeah. <laughs> I can't take credit. Yeah. Thank you, Gail. Well, and that, you know, the, this, the, the, the thing about people that are gone. <clears throat> is that we carry them, right? Like that it, mm. it kind of, that, that legacy is for us. Yeah. Right? That yes. it is, it is our, becomes our responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think I said, we've had, this is the third forum I'm, I've done around this topic, that what I said earlier is talking about them too and not pretending that when they're gone we don't, bring them up, we don't talk about them at hol during holidays, we don't um, talk about those things that remind us of them, the good and the bad, those things, gosh, you know, when Uncle so-and-so, it would always irk me when he would say that, so, you know, just talk about that, you know, remember, who do, who do I sound like, and, or just, you know, your mom really loved this, uh, she loved that, and don't be afraid to bring it, bring it up, uh, I think, that gives us more comfort. I think the more we do that, the more we can journey toward death in a very uh, 
embrace death in a way that sometimes I don't think we I don't think we've done a good job at in this in our culture one thing I thank my father for who was a minister a Pentecostal minister and one thing we were in a small town in Florida Stark Florida near Gainesville Jacksonville and we would go to the funeral home as kids, as small kids, and see the bodies. And I know we've moved. We don't see as many bodies today. We, we do cremation. We don't even have caskets in our church. Um, I've been here almost five years, and there have been two caskets. Um, and, and the last one was, it brings, a, even though it can be really heavy, because you have that body present with the Paul. But there is something there where it is a closure. But what he would do, my father, we would go and we would get excited. I mean, in a small town, you don't have a lot of things to do. So <laughs> to go to the funeral home. So, uh, so we went to the funeral home. And so, you know, my brother and I would get our jackets and we would get in the car. And, you know, Friday night, we're going to the funeral home. And... And one thing, a gift that he gave me that he was not even preparing me for my lifelong work is that the comfort with bodies. He would pick us up and he would hold us over the casket and he would talk to us. And we would see this person who, you know, had been moving around and the person is now there, like asleep, but we knew the person was not asleep that this person had died. And they were very upfront about this, that teaching children that this is a reality of life, you die. And he would allow us to touch the body. He would hold us over and touch. I remember Joyce. I remember how she, look, this was in the 70s, she had the Afro puffs and a whole bit, and, and touching Joyce. I've been thinking about her. I was thinking of her earlier this week. And so I think that really helped a level of comfort, a level of familiarity, and to see that cycle. You've been prepared for this your whole life. I have. Yeah, yeah. I have. And I apologize. I um, thank you for your response. I didn't mean to say that Horace wasn't answering well. <laughs> In fact, these, these, these are hard questions to take. Oh on. no, I, I didn't. Yeah. No offense. No offense. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that at all. I no. apologize. Um, no. uh, yes. It's okay, yes, um, celebrate that. So I, I mean, that, that sort of um, quest for certainty that those polls offer us, yeah. you know, I think that it's natural, um, but um, kind of being in that tension, um, you know, that's what, where we've got to start. Yeah, yeah. So here's the job. <laughs> Let me see yeah. if I can restate that enough for the for people listening. 
Um, so it's, uh, she's raising up John Westerhoff's definition of a heresy, of collapsing, um, collapsing the tension um, into one side or the other of these, these truths that we hold um, that are simply attention, right? Um, and that there, there's no, there is no way to resolve that. They're not supposed to be resolved, right? Um, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Lewis. Thank you, Josephine, for bringing up Westerhoff. Um, yesterday, when I gave Caroline Westerhoff a hug, I said, I love you and John. And she said, I love you too. And John still loves you. Hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. The presence of both. And um, so I, I was there with so many of you yesterday to honor and to celebrate a life well lived, a ministry well offered. And people talked about so much he gave to our to the church, our diocese, his theology, uh, prayers we still read, part of the liturgy, Eucharistic prayer that he wrote uh, as a, a scholar, a priest. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so the best of our church. So um, again, that was a great, and he said, part of when he wrote, he said, I want celebration. I don't want sadness. I want celebration. So to celebrate the life. Um, but I did, their tears came when we, Commendation always gets to me. Uh, I just think those words are so moving, and, and it's hard for me sometimes to get through that as a priest when I offer the commendation because uh, I just think of the beauty of that person. And when we give that person back to God, um, you know, when we acknowledge this sheep of your own fold. It's an interesting phrase, right? Do you have a question? state that again for the for the microphone and um, so the question is about anger at the end of life especially around terminal illness yeah and have yeah so Horace yeah the question is have, have you encountered that and um, w- what do you do with that I have not encountered as a hospice chaplain I did not um, I understand that um, Often when a person gets a really bad news and a, there's an impending death, uh, there is anger. It's, we, we've heard about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. That was one of those stages of, you know, anger is after the denial, then that anger of uh, the, un, the unfairness and um, that I'm going to, to you know, why, why me? Sometimes that comes up. It doesn't always. Um, I think part of getting people ready um, 
for a good death. And I've seen people who have been angry in life. Um, I did hear about a neighbor dying cussing. Um, so, but, but that, <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, and I'm thinking, wow, that's a pretty rough way to go, I think, because part of it is trying to get people at a place of peace. And, and anger is, is part of that. And what I've experienced more is sadness. That if a mother, and, and this is actually a, a friend of my um, brother and sister-in-law, um, she's going to leave her children. Um, and I think for parents who are going to leave children and not see them grow up, uh, you, can, you can understand uh, the sadness about that. Um, and maybe some anger, but I think trying to get to a place of peace. So that passage as part of the holy good death, that that can be a peaceful passing and not in this moment of turmoil. Uh, doesn't always happen, but in my experience as a hospice chaplain, conversations that happened with the veterans, was at a VA hospital, um, they tended to be, they were making peace with that. Even though with some of the veterans I found out, they, many of them took a while. Mm -hmm. They hung in there. I mean, tough, toughness. And, and when you think of what military, that kind of formation, mm -hmm. I think that's why they get to that point and then they, they would say, oh, not now. And I remember one veteran where family members were called in about four times, four or five times. And, and it was kind of a joke among the chaplains because he, he would get, we were like, okay, this time it's going to take, and, and nope, uh, it's just there. And I had one, one wife say, I don't know why he's still here. Um, because maybe you can talk, maybe there are some things that he saw or that he did that he needs to say to a priest. And I went there and I talked with, with him about anything he needed to share. Um, we had a good conversation and he died shortly after that. So I wonder if part of the answer to your question is often if someone's got a chaplain, like part of what you're doing is that work of moving people to, to the reality of that present, that, that death is coming, right? And yeah, out of, out of the anger, the anger is I think to stay in that anger, it, um, what it does, the family, I think, will like some resolve. And, and they want to see that loved one. They want to, there is a peace that we try to move people toward. A, a peace, even if it's been a hard, and sometimes the pain that comes with the particular, if there's a, a, a disease, that could be very painful. Um, hospice is... I mean, the very, the very forming of hospice was to give comfort in the, in the dying. So it is to provide comfort. So I think it's to move people beyond the anger and the struggle toward a place of peace. And I think that's what I know working with great nurses, great doctors, the medical staff, that is a goal that we try to achieve, to move people to that point realizing that there's a place for anger, but then there is that, we try to get them to that point of resolve. That's the greatest challenge that they face towards the end, isn't it, don't you think? I mean, you're talking about working with 
Okay. All right. We're gonna we're, we're gonna have to wrap wrap up the conversation again this week. We're gonna wrap it up. Yep, because we're at about eleven o'clock. Yep. Um, so for this particular conversation, though, after the eleven fifteen, um, again, I think the hilariously titled "Plan While You Can" um, <laughs> is uh, is in this room, and there's a great workbook for it. Um, it's a great thing to do in conversation, frankly, with others too. Don't feel isolated in this, um, mm -hmm. and let's. You know, please do take the time to plan plan something beautiful and leave for the people that love you um, a, a sense of what you want um, and what you mm -hmm. value. So please do join us if you can um, after after the next mm -hmm. service. And Horace, thank you, thank you for what you do and thank you for sharing. Thank oh. you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.